As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful, Herbal Face Food, for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with one of my dearest friends of almost 20 years. We've just realized we've known each other since just after 9-11. His name is Scott Schwenk. Scott 
is a visionary breathwork teacher. He is a, as he calls himself, he's a leader whisperer. I can speak for myself and say that it's completely true. He catalyzes inner evolution and he is really cutting edge insofar as he's bringing ancient teachings to modern times, but he's doing it in a way that is so unobtrusive, so important and so useful to all of us. So Scott, big welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm so happy you're here. I'm going to jump right in because I have a lot to ask you and I want to make sure that I am covering everything. But I've taken your course recently on commune and I loved it. We're going to talk about that too. But you facilitate waking up and growing up. And I like that you separate the two. They're not the same thing. And I would love to know from your mind and heart what the distinction is between waking up and growing up. Sure, happy to. So those terms um, I've borrowed from the work that Ken Wilber's done called Integral Theory, and we don't need a deep dive on that, but people can look into it. And it's actually four parts, waking up, growing up, cleaning up, showing up. I deal predominantly with focusing on the first two. Waking up is really the purview of Eastern traditions historically. That's like, you start talking about words like awakening, enlightenment, higher states of consciousness. And that's not enough, as we've come to see. Growing up starts to get into where the West has really developed some prowess around psychology and dealing with healing trauma and wounding. And really simply put, evolving somebody's capacity to take more and more perspectives in real time instead of just retrospectively. That's one of the ways you can see in real time somebody's growing up stage. Somebody may be able to drop into some deep, deep inner meditative state when they sit for meditation. But at the grocery store, when the clerk you know, has a rough interaction with them, it's not present. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we're dealing with the growing up stuff, including relationship skills, including emotional intelligence, um, and so many things. Yeah, I find that with um, my kid, less so now, but more so when he was younger and I was younger, <laughs> when I would sit and have this incredible meditation, I would come out and he would like track mud through the house and I'd freak out unnecessarily. I get that. Yeah. So your mom just passed and I'm, it's very fresh in my mind because mine, we just moved past her four year mark of having left her body. And it was such a beautiful day that day. Um, in your mom's passing, which was, I think, within the last three or four months, what, what was the biggest uh, learning about yourself? Because for my listener who is, for example, for my listener who is still at odds with her or his mom, for my listener who can't stand even being near, for my listener who has a parent who's you know mentally somehow disabled or addicted, anything like this. What does the death of your mother do from your purview? So right up front, the first thing it's here to say is there's no one to blame now. It's all on me. And seeing that moment to moment, if I'm having an issue and I'm thinking it's related somehow to her, she's not here doing anything. It's my my inner mind chatter. And so part and parcel of all of this is that I'm still figuring it out and I probably will be learning so much. It's probably a really long rest of my life process. But so far what I've seen is without her physically here to interact with in the old way and having her old journals to get a a, a real window into this very private person, I saw the lesson of my life and why she's been in it to help me really get an authentic sense of self that's not about the outer world, that's about who and what I am just for existing. I grew up highly codependent with my mother. I grew up so sensitive to where I could feel the flies farting in India. Mm. And also could hear thoughts. I didn't know that's what was happening, but could since I was a kid. So what that led to is... My mom just being an ordinary human being 
living her life and experiencing her experience without a heck of a lot of training about interstates or psychology or therapy, anytime she'd have a mood, it was big. And I would feel it. So I developed this, this character armor that led me to believe a whole lot of untrue bullshit, excuse my French, that I was completely unattractive oh, wow. and that there was something wrong with me. That because I was this character armor that I developed unknowingly was a way to stay safe, to not feel other people's stuff, but it, it developed spikes on the outside of the armor. It developed ways of being clever and controlling. It developed um, this intense just presence that was overwhelming for a lot of people. And it's taken years and years of inner work to get down past my stories enough to see what happens in my breath and my body when I get overstimulated or triggered and to take immediate steps to self-soothe, to give up the story, and to see that my inner state has nothing to do with anybody outside of me. A, thank you. B, half of me wants to ask, you think it's cool if we read her journals? Like, I wonder if that's okay. And then C, it's a kind of a rhetorical question. C, what are those steps that you take to immediately pivot? You know, honestly, it's the same steps I take to get into meditation. A bunch of years ago, a little side story. I've been a student of Sally Kempton since she was Swami Durgananda in the Siddhi Yoga Ashram where I was on staff for a few years. I remember those years. And I was obsessed with her. Oh my goodness. I still am. And we talk a few times a week and I, I'm so blessed to have a proper elder who has done so much inner work on waking up and growing up and continues to. And anyway, she's really who got me meditating. But the way she teaches meditation, it's very clear. She's like, you got to relax the body. Even advanced meditators aren't spending enough time relaxing the physical body and then wasting energy trying to go beyond the mind. If you just relax the body more, it's a heck of a lot easier. Well, it turns out that's a key to life. Mm. So I'm sitting on my couch trying to go into meditation at a period where I'm doing really long sits, like three and four hour sits. And I'm doing a body scan, which is the way she taught it. But my perfectionist nature, I get about to my knees and then I drop into a state and forget where I am. And I got so frustrated and I out loud in my living room, I was like, forget this. You've got to show me a better way. And one by one, these points lit up in the body that I now call the six points of softening. Soles of the feet, palms of the hands, inside, outside corners of the eyes, the region inside and around the ears, the tongue as it rests in the floor of the mouth, and the entirety of the pelvic floor groin region perineum. Can you do that just a little more slowly? Yeah. Soles of the feet, palms of the hands, and you're softening them with your imagination like you're opening fists with your mind and making it up that it's easy. All four corners of the eyes, the inside and the outside corners, the region inside and around your ears, your tongue is at rest deeply in the floor of your mouth, and all the little muscles running throughout the pelvic floor, groin region, perineum, sphincter, PC muscle, all of that, soles, palms, eyes, ears, tongue, pelvic floor, groin region. Thank you. I feel so good. Yes, immediately. It's an immediate shift. Immediately out of fight or flight to some degree. Yeah. And then with that, to deepen the breath. So in a moment, in or out of meditation, that's what I'm practicing. That's the first thing I've got to do. I cannot rely on my mind to report anything to me that's very accurate. If I'm stressed, if I'm in fight or flight, I just know that. So I have to soften and breathe and just give up figuring anything out until until it's clear and it and it always is at a certain moment all i know is my breath is super deep and i don't even know where i want to go right now because i feel so relaxed yeah the idea that you've been an apprentice to sally all this time is really beautiful and 
comforting to me. Like I didn't realize how close you guys were. She is like a second mother to me. Wow. There are places in my relationship uh, with, with being mothered that I come to realize here, you know, just turned 48. It didn't all have to come from one person. And that that expectation was unfair on my own biological mother. It's interesting because I think in the absence of my mother, there are so many thoughts of this, like who else, you know? I have a little mother in Abby Galvin. I have a little mother and a few other people and I feel so lucky. And I realized that I should never, I always felt guilty when my mother was alive that I would consider other women to be a mother figure to me. It felt like I was cheating, <laughs> but really it's helpful and important to spread the work around as it were. And I, that that a lot of people have felt that I felt the same way. I felt guilty. Like, am I cheating on my mother? Right. And meanwhile, where I have discussed it with her when it was a good moment, it seemed like she was relieved, my mother. Yeah. That it wasn't all on her. Because she knew at a certain point, as she was getting ready, getting her affairs in order, more so around finances in the spring, she said to me, you know, there was a certain uh, 401k that she left me. And she said, you know, I may not have been able to be there for you emotionally in the ways that you needed growing up. And I'm so sorry for that. This is a way I can be there for you and feel like I'm looking down and providing something that makes a difference. Wow. What a closure. Wow. That didn't, it doesn't mean anything to me fiscally. What it, what it, it feels, I feel her intentionality in leaving you with this thing, this representation of her love. I feel that very deeply. I have tears in the backs of my eyes. As I say that, I look over to my bed where there's this king-sized blanket she crocheted mm. shortly after she was first diagnosed in the beginning, like 12 years ago. Mm. Took her like six months apparently, and one of her friends said she worked on it like it was the most important full time job of her life, like she was a machine. Wow! And she prayed over every stitch. Wow. So to your question about what have I learned since she's passed, it's like time has slowed down, and I and I'm able to see things I wasn't able to see so clearly before in the rush of just life with her and wondering about the next phone call, about the doctor's appointments. Things have slowed down so much that I'm able to really look and feel and see and recognize how intensely and irrevocably she has always loved me and feel it. Mm -hmm. And that she expressed the way she expressed and having back to her journals, you know, read over the years, how deeply insecure she was about her value and worth and that me having my room right next door to hers growing up like one one thin wall between us and being an empath i assumed that as my character and it's taken years to realize i'm actually not insecure i actually have an indelible sense of self that's not personal that when I relax and trust, everything flows and there's no question about fitting in or not fitting in. And there's this compassion like, wow, she really didn't know her value and worth and kept looking to either growing her finances and having nice things or who she could be with as a partner. And she never fully got it while she was alive. Right. And that touches me. Like I... Mm -hmm. I'm able to, to see her as a human as mm. opposed to this, this, gosh, this sounds so crass, but like, like a, a mother vending machine that I should have been able to go to whenever I wanted and needed anything. Mm. Dude, that's so normal. It's so normal. We all have all these projections about what our mother's supposed to be able to provide. I'm sitting here living in my kids' projections and trying to live into them is such a funny thing in the present moment. We're so funny. Well, homage and respect and 
you know, love to her, to your mom, that's a, that's a big loss. And also in some ways a really big gain for all of your students, the people that you'll touch going forward. Along the way, one of the other things I learned about myself is that so many people said things like, well, we didn't reach out to you or we don't reach out to you or this or that because you seem like you always have it all together. So throughout this period, this last year with mom, I started pushing myself to share and be uncomfortable about telling people what was going on and say, you know, I don't have it all together. I do need hugs. I do want to be invited without having to seek it out to hang out and have good experiences. And I do have intense moments of sadness where I might not reach out. So it's okay for you, you and you, please just reach out and ask me how I'm doing. Like, I don't have it all together. I have a human body and a real nervous system. That kind of communication, I think, is a gift that you give to the people in your life. I really appreciate that. Thank you for putting words to that. I think it's important, especially, you know, there's been a rash from what I've been hearing through certain friends in social media. Maybe it's all um, orientations, but particularly in the major cities around the world, including LA, a lot of us have been losing our gay male friends to suicide unexpectedly. And it leads me to wonder, well, how much more safe can we help make it for people to ask for help or ask for a hug or just ask to come over and chill out? You know, how many people are pretending to have it all together because they're afraid of being told no? I do think that is a result of social media, one of the sad results. There are many great results, many connections, many celebrations and ways in which we're able to create together. And then there are these results of social media where the expectation and projection just becomes too much. And people just choosing to exit the scene. Well, and frankly, from my chair, it comes down to those moments of intensity that the body feels so physically uncomfortable with emotion and one doesn't seem to feel like we have the resource to take a deeper breath. I think it really is that simple. Is like, can I take, you know, like the, I listened to your recording uh, layered with uh, Above and Beyond music. And every time in that first time you say, just take one deep breath with me. Yeah. And I notice, I pay attention, I'm excited about like, yeah, my state actually changes in one deep breath. If we could just take one deep breath, we don't have to do a full rosary or go to some special place, just it's all in the breath. It's interesting, as a result of that flow state recording, a whole uh, a little sub-community has sprouted called Anjuna Breathe that is serving folks who are going through such hard times as that, as what we've described so close to, uh, to suicide and other sort of self-destructive behaviors. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's time for us to be sharing this information more widely and more bravely with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a time of, of greater transparency for teachers or people who are facilitating anything as opposed to like somebody sitting on a dais with that projection, the same kind of projection we talk about seeing in social media, like, oh, well, because they're in robes or because they're there, they must have it all figured out. <laughs> Which none of us do. <laughs> yeah, not even the greatest teachers. I mean, one of the gifts of talking to Sally on a regular basis or some of the others that um, have come from that same space and are teaching really prolifically is they say to me, I still get triggered and this is how I work with it. Or I still deal with this, this, and this. And this is how I work with it. It's true. I think the importance of teachers sharing the reality of the situation has never been more uh, strong than it is now. It leads me into a series of questions regarding your course, which I absolutely savored and plan to do again the course is called Ecstatic Breathwork, which is on commune, onecommune.com. And 
I love it for sure. I almost wish it were called something else, almost, because it's so much more potent than what I think about the two words ecstatic breath work together. But day one is where you get into what you were just referencing. Body is the first reality. How quickly, how swiftly, how efficiently can we dissolve the tension and invite ourselves back into the magnificence of the, of the parasympathetic nervous system, you know, and slow the body down. This was really important for me because I, you know, I do all kinds of practices, yoga nidra, la la, all meditation, all the things. And then to do your course was a totally different sort of confrontation where you're breathing this multifaceted breath, mouth open, supine. It's something that I never do. And I wanted out almost instantly. And your guidance was really good. There was enough space and there was also enough information to stay with it, keep going and, and bring myself back, sort of rescue myself when, when I would try and escape. It was, it's such a cool uh, practice, dude. Thank you for it. So happy. I, as of a couple of years ago, when I was getting ready to teach at my first Wanderlust Festival, started doing it every morning again myself. And here it is, what is it, almost 17 years later after having my first experience of that breath, it's still confronting if I'm not actively doing it. Like it's such a truth yeah. serum for where I'm at with myself in any given moment. That's well said. It's the three-part breath, if you're listening, and you want to understand it, you'll open your mouth, you take in half the breath into your belly, the other half into your chest, which lifts and sort of makes space for that breath, and then exhaling out the mouth. You're doing it all through your mouth. It's so, I mean, it's liberating, it's annoying, it's and then you have and, and then you have to go on for how many minutes is that typically in the in the course days one through five you know the course is actually shorter than i do it in my regular classes so you're really only doing the three-part breath maybe 15 minutes in the longer sessions yeah which felt short to me because i remember taking your classes back in the days of vira yoga when i would have you come and teach at the end of my yoga sessions and dude it was like that talk about confronting and at the time i was all sorts of addicted so i would have all this residue in my liver and my system i couldn't even deal with it at all now at least i can get somewhere for five ten minutes without being interrupted and then i have to drag myself back into it <laughs> we're so funny the gift of the breath i keep finding over and over again is like you don't have to figure anything out to receive gifts from it you don't have to have a story I don't have to mm. know the history of breath work. All I need to do is stick with it for maybe 10 to 20 minutes with a few pauses here and there, you know, to catch my breath or activate saliva. And then there's this tingling vibrating throughout my system and a, and a flush, like a letting go, a visceral letting go throughout the body that nearly everybody mentions having happened. I, I definitely feel that. That letting go is so real. It's like the biggest treasure of this course, actually. You could say that that's the treasure of life when it's really humming, is letting go of everything until we get down, until I get down to something that indelibly can't be let go of right. and is whole right, right, right. and knows it's whole and is palpable. Right. Day two, after you're figuring out the situation with the body, is all about your thoughts. What you think is what you get. What you think is what you get. And you point out that it takes time, considerable time to notice and consistently rest in the space between thoughts. This is where I'm taught to uh, put my attention in my meditations between the end of the exhalation and the following inhalation. I have a lot of friendship now with that little liminal space. But these teachings in day two, expanding our capacity to see more consistently what these stories and descriptions are, and to really 
redesign and to re-choose what we're thinking about. So cool. You're asking us to continually practice softening, all these six points of softening that you described earlier, deep, long breathing, exhaling the energy of thinking itself. It's just so masterful. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate all the thought that went into planning this, being a course planning freak myself. I know exactly what went into it, and it's a lot. A lot. And it did have another name. What was the other name? You know, I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, it it might have been something like Alchemy of the Heart, you know, something. Oh, God, yes. And Jake was like, That's it needs to be more want. practical. We need to tell people just you know, something simple. And I was like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. No, Jay, Jake knows what he's doing too. Hi, Jake, if you listen to this. Yeah, um, completely. But love him. But I get I get both sides. Well, and something like well over 15,000 people signed up for it around the world already. Incroyable. Beautiful. That's so good. The tears, and I'm not kidding, the tears reading people's notes in the facebook group they created for it from china from new zealand from wherever saying man i haven't cried in years and i was able to have this simple release so good day three is where you move from the thoughts to the heart entering the heart cultivating a chosen feeling state we've just cultivated our thoughts and now we're cultivating our feeling state you keep it simple in this one i appreciated that the key points were that your sort of innermost feeling state will determine the outcome of anything you do. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, what you're feeling is actually going to affect it. And that's a really important and useful, practical reminder for all of us. It brings me back to when you had Lisa from Neurosculpting on yes. the podcast. So and she was talking about affirmations mm -hmm. and how they really actually don't work for many people because they haven't gotten, in my words, the gears haven't connected between the affirmation and the inner state. And so one little secret that I haven't shared in the course that I'll share here is that in my own breathwork practice in the morning, that's where I work with certain affirmations when I'm already buzzing head to toe, vibrating and in a really relaxed place. That's where I work with mantra and affirmation in a little bit deeper way to imprint that, that visceral understanding of, yeah, all is well. All is well. I'm whole and complete. Yeah. I, I love your mind. <laughs> I do. I'm so happy to finally have you on. It makes me so happy. Oh my gosh. There's one point in day three that I really appreciated, which is the, you sort of just said it, but combining the chosen feeling state with the current of energy generated through the breath work. That is the source and the aim and the means to any meditation or any pranayama practice worth its salt. So I'll say it again. You're combining the chosen feeling state with the current of energy that's generated through the breath work. And so you're consciously choosing like the quality of the blood that is coursing through your veins. And it's a lot easier than it might sound to ears that haven't heard something like that before. It's actually really, really simple. And it's about really having the patience to stick with the practice enough to start to notice, oh, yeah, there is an energy that moves through my body and I can actually play with it. Like wherever I put my attention, it seems to build or move in my body. And then, oh, if I know what it would feel like, this thing I'm trying to manifest, like an easier time in my relationship with my kid, well, what would I feel like? And then I can practice that feeling while I'm doing the breath work of what it would feel like to have an easier time with my kid and we're smiling and happy and mingle that with this vibration, right. the feeling and the vibration in my body. And it actually grows a lot quicker than people would expect. Well said, very well said. Day four, we go into transforming difficult emotions. 
And it's interesting, you know, this could be week four, could be year four, but day four is where we're at. And the key points are that every, as you just said, basically every experience has a flavor of energy that runs through the nervous system that brings the nervous system a certain energy flavor. And when it's too overwhelming to digest as it happens, this is really important. It was for me anyway. The energy of the experience gets imprinted within the nervous system, colors the view that we have of life, colors the view that we have of others and of ourselves. And it has the effect of contracting the way energy flows through body, thoughts, emotions. That contraction is what this breath work is releasing and that only comes clear really cognitively in day four so i really appreciated the way that you described this for us in your um in your handout thank you for that i want to add to that just a tad which is this thing that you just described that happens to all of us until we break through you know the we get feedback all the time that just being in animal bodies, we're, we're designed to get feedback and then adjust. In fact, the best definition I ever heard from emotion is it's an epiphenomenon of animal bodies made to adjust behavior in the moment and then be moved on from. Whoa, dude. But we don't move on because we're language bearing creatures. We start describing the sensation. I describe the sensation in my body to myself in unpleasant ways, unless I'm trained. And then, Every time I feel something like that sensation, I'm getting feedback from that limited delusional sensation about life rather than the fact that life is abundant and there are all the resources I could possibly need if I'm in a relaxed, open state. Right, right, right. And the fearlessness that comes with that understanding, the confidence that comes with that understanding, that's where it gets, that's where life gets really good. I don't know. I don't I, I don't think I would have synthesized that until around now in my life. You know, I don't think I had the capacity to synthesize that in my 30s. But my hope is that the listener who is in her 30s or his 20s can at least get a little glimpse, a taste of that and try the practice and and see what comes. I think about you one because you know you're just a dear sister friend and you're in my life in a big way but i think about the the so-called what the world would call the success you've achieved and i think about the small moments you know people may see you on social media and project all sorts of stuff onto you like their own good qualities are out there on elena if only if i had such and such or this and that and the reality is after watching you for years it's these small moments of simply working with body tension and breath and dropping thought and a lot of practice and a lot of falling down and a lot of getting back up again. And that it actually in the long arc works out. Body tension, breath, dropping thought, <laughs> like furiously scribbling these words down so that I can make sure that I have an apt title for this episode, because that's pretty much exactly what it is. And then the advanced practice when there's enough relaxation is to actually practice the feeling of love without needing an outer stimulus. Ooh, ooh. practicing the feeling of love without an outer stimulus. Would you capitalize the L? Absolutely, because it's not personal love. It's like the story my dad told me a few years ago. I was hitting the wall in my life, and he decided to tell me about how he and his current wife of 30 some odd years fall deeper and deeper in love every day. And I said, well, what's your secret? Teach us all how to do that. <laughs> he said, we realized early on that if we tried to love each other with our personal love, it would run out. We decided to practice out giving each other, and this is their words, with God's love all day long, every day. Pause. I'm taking notes. Practice out giving each other every day with God's love. That's right. Scribbling. Oh my God. 
out giving meaning wait for those that don't speak english if you don't speak english out giving is out dash giving and basically what you're doing is see who can give more of god's love to the other one every day without comparing that's key because it's not out giving if i'm looking at what you're doing and comparing it i'm not out giving it's interesting because the very nature of saying out giving implies you know competition but it's not that deeply not that wow dude and the simple imagination that i have around it is like i'm swimming in this infinite ocean of golden light Mm. it's infinite it's unending and the more i relax and breathe and let that golden freedom move through my cells and my breath and touch you and not become the owner of the gold and just keep imagining and sensing that it starts to happen not the owner of the gold wow Day five is the integration day. It's the final day of the course. I, by the way, it's really such a such a delight to be able to walk people through this in this way because whether you take the course or not, you're getting the, the juice of it. You're getting the resonance of it. But the priority that you point out, Placing the priority on the choices that help us navigate and integrate our experiences as they arise and unfold. You say that sometimes it looks like taking naps and that NASA recommends taking 22 minute naps as the ideal reset. Sometimes it looks like drinking more water. Sometimes it looks like taking periods of inner and outer silence. But integration for you is what allows us to gather the wisdom of our experiences rather than simply pass through them. And this is where you shine, I feel. You were just describing to me working with my dear friend, Lisa Cooper, who is also a teacher of similar work, not exactly the same, but similar work. She'll be on the podcast soon, a dear old friend. And you said the the notable aspect of working with her, you said you integrated it so beautifully, you said, her gift is not imprinting her energy on your experience when facilitating and holding space for you. It's just so well said. Every single time you watch or or share something with me and you've integrated what it is and then you give me the, the, the backstory, it's like I get the whole feeling in four words of what happened. So you're the master at this. Your point was that clever insights are one thing but embodied freedom is yet another and to carry the breathwork forward into our lives is the key that's the key we started the talk this conversation like this and you know slowly drawing to a close like this too like how do we scotch wink bring this into our lives how do we you know if somebody's just tuning in and they're just perking up their ears now for the first time, the dishes are done and they're sitting down. How do we bring what we learn in this breath work into our lives on a regular basis? Well, with that, I'm gonna suggest a tiny bit of technology. There's an app in the app store for Android and iPhone called Mindfulness Bell. It's 99 cents. I don't make a dime from it. I just recommend it prolifically. And all it does is it rings the sound of a Tibetan metal bowl at the frequency of your choosing. And then that alert, when I use it, I take a deep breath and I soften the six points, soles, palms, eyes, ears, tongue, pelvic floor, groin region, or minimally just the soles of my feet and the palms of my hands with that deep breath and that long, slow exhale. The longer my exhale, the more my mind stream slows down. So that mindfulness bell is a simple way to go from having wonderful, beautiful experiences in formal practice to bringing them into the rest of life. And that's what's gonna quicken the journey of waking up and growing up is bringing the practices actionably into the rest of the day. And as a slight tangent, I live for the fact that I can get a little bell in a yoga practice and do like minute long holds. Totally. I love that weirdly, but yes, I, I, I hear that. It's a really nice, practical way to bring it in to life. In the absence of of wanting to use a bell, 
there's lots of other simple ways. I had one client who lives in LA where she has to drive a lot. So her practice is every time she sees a stoplight or a stop sign, that's her alert. That's her mindfulness moment to take a deep breath and soften. That's really good, actually. I think the in the aggregate, the most important aspect is the the capacity that this work has to release all the imprints, all the stored stagnant imprints that we have and hold in our bodies unwittingly. And that's why I really wanted to have you on. I didn't want to miss the opportunity to do it. And I'm glad that we had an excuse to do it with, uh, with your course. Um, before I get to my three questions, I just wanted to know, is this course something that's available all the time or do we have to wait for it? It's available on demand anytime you do it. So you can go to the website for Commune and there's an app or you can do it on your laptop. And maybe if you want to even hook it up to your TV and do it with friends. But you do it as whenever you want. And once you've gotten the course, the gift is I designed it so that you could do it over and over and over again with each round taking a deeper cut. Mm. No, I'm definitely going to do it again. I actually have a, have a plan to start tonight because I'm alone uh, in my house tonight. So I'm going to redo it again. So I have three questions that I ask almost every guest. Sometimes I don't get to it, but I'm going to ask you. The first is what in your space, life, environment, world needs healing right now? The same place I've been working on, which is expanding my, my coming from the great love, the big love. And not seeing any reason to question that. I'm always going to be working on deepening that. And not just for myself. Like I really want it to be the kind of thing where if I lost my voice for the rest of my life, just walking down the street would make a difference by contagiousness of nervous system. Ooh. Ooh. In case you've just heard that, my listener, and you're wondering, what does that even mean? Have you ever been around somebody who's super um, steady within themselves or super confident within themselves, super grounded, and just by being with them, you catch it within your own system? Yeah, that's beautiful, Scott. And the second question, what is your favorite view? <laughs> The view from love, man. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I haven't had that answer yet. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, that's so good. And then the last question then we're left with, what does prayer mean to you? Wow, everything. I feel like it's becoming my life. I remember a few years ago, dad again, dad's path is through fundamentalist Christianity. He's a born-again Christian living in the Bible Belt. And a bunch of years ago, we started really connecting once I got out of my own way and started to really listen to him. He prays wordlessly, he told me. It's not asking, it's not telling, it's just relaxing open to the great presence. He calls it the Holy Spirit. I don't necessarily call it anything anymore, but reality and love. So my favorite form of prayer is relaxing and feeling the fullness of life, love, as emptiness, as fullness, as my breath, as often as I possibly can. Mm. Makes me want to take a big, full breath. Listener, take a nice deep inhale. Exhale. Anything else that you would add? Yeah. The work really works and grace is real. Grace does everything. That's my experience. And grace, the way I define it, is it's this something that makes the impossible possible. It's like in my imagination currently, and this might change, I imagine the center of every particle throughout the cosmos, the very center, 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 the power center that can create Milky Way galaxies and anything is right here, right now. I remind myself that. 
Western alchemy says, as above, so below, as within, so without. Tantra says, what is here is there, what is not here is nowhere. These statements keep reminding me when I think there's something missing, that whatever I could possibly need or want that's actually of value is right where I am or it doesn't exist. And my only job is just to relax enough to let it foreground this grace that can make anything possible that's really of value. Hmm. To let it foreground. Yeah, there's no pushing. Otherwise, it's then it's my own ego again. But the use of foreground as a verb is so tight, so good. <laughs> it, reminds, it reminds me of this the book, The Overstory, that I just am finishing now, where nouns become verbs in the most deft ways. It's unbelievable. I am so thankful for your presence here, Scott. I look forward to further conversations here and and in real life. And I just love you a lot. I respect you so much. And I'm so grateful to be close to your work. Thank you for being here. Likewise, thank you. I love you. Sadgurnad Maharaj Ki Jai. Love you. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.